It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. With me, two certified financial planners, one's a CPA. That's right. Certified financial planner, Josh Gregory, and CFP CPA, Ryan Fair. That's right. Hey, you can think of tax planning as the art of making the right proactive decisions with your money. So when it comes time to do your tax preparation, you'll like the results. So today's episode, uh, we're going to be sharing our top tax planning strategies for 2019 and answering your questions with special guest and CPA, CFP, Ryan Fair. (laughs) Make it sound way too fancy. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of questions, so what's the best way to buy a car in retirement? That's a great question we have from from Lauren. We're going to be taking in the second half of the program. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Any comments, have any needs, please reach out to us. You can do so a few different ways. Find us online, wisemoneyradio.com. You can call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we're there too. So Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, just search the Wise Money Show. You can submit questions that way. You can get all the content that way as well and uh, stay connected to the show. Thank you very much. All right. We talk a lot about, well, we talk a lot. (laughs) We talk a lot about tax planning. Ryan, you do tax preparation. What's the difference? Yeah, good. So tax preparation, that's what everybody thinks of when they think of a tax guy. So that's the once a year you're required to file an income tax return with the government, report all your income and your deductions, and make sure you've paid enough tax. And if not, you pay additional tax. Mm -hmm. That's the tax preparation side of the tax man. Tax planning is optimizing your situation so that when tax preparation time comes around, you are paying the appropriate amount of tax, whether that, you know, there's so many different opportunities to plan to, uh, sometimes it's Sounds strange, but you may plan to pay more tax in a certain year than than you may have otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. There's lots of opportunities to perfect your tax picture. Yeah, I mean, isn't it better to pay a little more tax today so that you don't have to pay nearly as much tax? You can pay a lot less in the future. That's tax planning, right? Yep. Sometimes tax planning, though, is just as simple as pausing partway through the year and taking a snapshot of where you think your tax return is going to land if you just continue on the pace that, that you're in. This is really just a matter of confirming that there's not some sort of a problem brewing in a tax return, especially during years of transition where you've changed jobs or uh, maybe you've uh, life circumstances. You're married now. You have kids. You started a business. You retired. I mean, there are so many life transitions that happen that change your tax picture. And it's important before you get to your CPA's office to prepare the return in the spring, long before you get there, it's important to know what is the pace that you're on anyway, because 
during the, the calendar year, there's still time to actually have some influence and change the picture if you don't like what you're seeing. Here's what tax planning is. You are just starting in a job. You've recently graduated. Your income's pretty low, and they default your contributions into your 401k 5% pre-tax. And you sit down with the CFP, and they say, nope, that should be Roth. Okay, that's tax planning. Tax planning's also, all right, I'm about to retire. I'm 62. I'm going to have Social Security coming in, and I'm going to be pulling a certain amount of money out from my 401k IRA, and so be it. Nope. Tax planning looks and says, how can we structure that so you're only pulling an amount out of your pre-tax so that your income stays below the threshold so that you can get premium tax credits on buying health insurance before Medicare and you pull other dollars out of cash or cash flow, something like that. That's tax planning. Mm -hmm. Tax preparation is just looking at the result and putting it in the right box. So tax planning is the creative stuff. It's the proactive stuff. It's the value added stuff. It's the part that you work into all the rest of your financial plan as well. Before you make a decision with your investments, before you make a decision with retirement or your estate plan, you stop and consider the tax ramifications so that you know the decision you're making is the best one possible. All right. So then here's the question. Here's the question to you. What are the best tax planning strategies for this year? We're just going to share our favorites. Ryan, Josh, what do you got? So there's, like I said, there's lots of different opportunities. Um, a couple of the really good ones that are, they're, they're just important as far as timelines go. Uh, reviewing the withholdings. So we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, the, the opportunity or the times when people are, their life is changing. So whether they've changed, changed jobs, whether they're new to the area and moved, you know, to a new state, just taking a second and reviewing that stuff and doing a tax projection to make sure that your new employer is withholding the appropriate amount of tax or the, you know, the right state tax or make sure that they are withholding, you know, a local tax. You know, a lot of that happens a lot, doesn't it? I mean, there's every year we discover for someone that their employer that's maybe domiciled in a different state they're, the payroll doesn't understand that in Indiana here you have a county tax as well as a state tax, and they're just completely missing it. Yeah. And uh, it, it's always heartbreaking when we discover that <laughs> after first meeting someone late in tax season, there's, it's too late to do anything. Right. But if we can be talking about it during the year, we can be observing and, and calculating these things off of a pay stub. Maybe we can sniff that stuff out and reveal it soon enough to actually solve the problem. Okay. That's important, right? But no one cares. No one. No. <laughs> so that's important. Yes, and you need to do it. But that's not exciting. Here's here's the one. Here's <laughs> you this didn't is say my it had to be exciting. This that's is tax right. stuff. Man. Oh, okay. avoiding serious here's, harm is exciting. Yes. Man. Here's my favorite. Okay. So <laughs> it's the it's the health savings account. Okay. So, uh, high deductible health plans, qualified high deductible health plans, are becoming more and more prevalent as uh, health care costs and health insurance costs here in America continue to go wildly out of control. And so, what's your way to control it? Is contributing to your getting a qualified uh, high deductible health plan and contributing to the HSA. So, a couple quick things. You, this is the same drum I'm beating. Um, first. If you have a range of options right now to pick for health insurance with your employer next year, I'd evaluate the options from a cost standpoint and coverage standpoint, but then factor in the tax savings from contributing to your HSA. We've been doing this a ton lately. 
in the HSA, even if you have a unhealthy year, I've had a terribly unhealthy <laughs> year, everyone. Um, it's cheaper. Okay, so that's one. Just just do a comparison. It's geeky math, but do the comparison. Number two, if you do have a qualified high deductible health plan, don't think ahead to say, well, how much medical cost do I think I'll have? All right, that's the amount I'll put in my HSA. No, do as much as you can. And if you've got the cash flow and it fits within your overall financial plan, max it out, do the limit. That's okay. my favorite. I've got a better one. Good. We've talked about it before. We've been banging this drum as well. The Roth conversion has to be something that you are considering right now. Even with the market where it is? It, it doesn't matter where the market is. You have to determine whether or not this strategy makes sense because it's you have to choose before the end of the year, right? right. So there's every year you've got a window of time to decide whether it makes sense. I uh, had a client in the office just uh, just a few days ago, and we were considering whether to make a contribution to a Roth IRA. They would be limited to 7,000 because they're over age 50. Or instead, we showed them that the cash they have on hand could be used to pay the tax on a Roth conversion. We ended up shifting about 45,000 from a traditional IRA to a Roth, paying tax at a low rate today because we actually believe that in the future, they're gonna be in a higher tax bracket. Josh, that is brilliant. The name of the game, if, if, if this is the name of the game for you, is just how do I get as much money in the Roth as possible growing tax-free? Um, that's brilliant. Use cash flow to pay the tax and, and do a conversion instead. So We could only do that, though, because we ran a tax projection and we knew how far we could go with this Roth conversion, creating income on the tax return and pushing them up closer and closer to the edge of the 12% bracket. We didn't want to jump into the 22% tax mm -hmm. bracket because we lose some of the economic benefits and um, you know, it just doesn't make financial sense to go too high in their situation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I get that. So, so HSA using the Roth and the Roth conversion is a creative way to do that. Um, love, love that idea. Last week we were talking about, um, taxes as well and talking about the new taxes that the government keeps pushing out and both of these shelter against that. So what are the other, what are, are, are our other favorite tax planning strategies you need to consider? We've got that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What are our favorite tax planning strategies that you need to consider implementing for 2019? We're sharing that today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Joshua Gregory and special guest CPA Ryan Fair. Thank you to the attorneys at South Bank Legal, as well as First State Bank, for making the Wise Money Show possible. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. To follow all Wise Money content, you can find us online, wisemoneyradio.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we're there too. Just search The Wise Money Show. You can leave comments, questions there as well. All right. We're into our favorite tax planning strategies for 2019. We've said double check your withholding so you avoid surprises. And I said that was boring and I was right. <laughs> um, but it's extremely important. Avoid penalties, avoid surprises. Yes. Then we got to the good ones, HSA, Roth conversions. What else? What are our other favorite tax planning strategies for individuals 2019? All right. I, I've got a couple. So first, let's start by referring back to last week's show of charitable contribution planning. 
Uh, so specifically last week we were talking about donor-advised funds. There's other areas to explore with charitable giving. So maybe you maybe a donor-advised fund isn't the best option for your situation. There's other stuff, though, that we can talk about bunching contributions. We can talk about qualified charitable distributions from your IRA. That stuff all has to be done before December 31st. You can't wait until you're in meeting with your tax guy to make those decisions uh, in April. So now is the time to make those decisions, run the projections, see what else is what else is hanging out there. I agree. And those those contributions often have limits as to how much right. you can deduct of your adjusted gross income. Yep. I don't know how you do that without a tax projection. So it's, yep. Great point. You know, another um, year-end deadline that we run into here in Indiana. Uh, those of you that have set a goal to help your kids or grandkids mm-hmm. with college planning, we often talk about the Indiana 529 plan. It's called the College Choice Plan. That's the brand it operates under. But this is a tool, uh, a type of an account that you can open and make contributions to it on an annual basis or just however frequently you want. And what it provides for you in Indiana is a 20% tax credit against your Indiana taxes. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's on the first 5000 that you contribute each year. So if you're doing any kind of help uh, for the kids, maybe, maybe you have a son or daughter that's already a student in college or about to be, and you say, ah, you know, I, I, there's no point in starting a 529 plan. We're already in the college years. No, there's still ways that you can make a deposit and pull it right back out in the same year and still get this credit. So, you know, this, this is important way that your investment planning, your college planning, and your tax planning all have to be merged together. It needs to be an integrated plan, and uh, that way you don't miss out on these types of tax savings. Yeah. I've got one more uh, that we can talk about, and that's capital gains planning. Mm, so uh, yeah. capital gains or capital losses. So a lot of times you think capital losses, you know, I've got the stock or mutual fund that I bought that's a dog. You know, I don't want to sell it now while it's low. If, you know, depending on the prospects for that stock or that fund, there's a tax advantage to go ahead and go ahead and sell that <laughs> fund or stock at a loss you at least get the tax benefit from that if you know if you think that can uh, can help you out. Same thing with gains. If you've got significant gains, uh, you know, on stocks or funds, we can look at that and run projections and tell you exactly how much stock to sell or how much capital gains to capture, and still stay in the zero percent long-term capital gain tax bracket. A lot which of people don't don't realize that that is a possibility, right? right. There are ways for you to sell some investments that have run up in value. There's a gain there, or a profit when you go to sell. And some people pay zero federal tax on that. A lot of people. That's right. It yeah. just depends on what tax bracket overall you're staying, staying within. And so if you have a year where you, you have the ability to harvest some of those gains, to neutralize the tax pain that's been building and building, without really paying any taxes. We don't know how long these 0% capital gains rates are going to be around. So don't miss a year where you have the ability to go ahead and and wipe out the taxation efficiently. Don't don't lose sight that the state is not as generous with those tax savings, but that will always be there. The state's always going to tax you on those, I believe. But if you can get away with no federal taxes, don't miss that opportunity either. That's right. And I'd remind you that all of those 
buys and sells inside tax shelters, that doesn't right. that doesn't equate. It really is something that irritates my dad. <laughs> Within the IRA, <laughs> hey, if there loss. was an investment that temporarily went down, I should be able to deduct that. No, you don't get to, Dad. Sorry. Just get <laughs> mad at your son for that. I had nothing to do with it, but that's okay. Um, all right. What about small businesses? If you own a small business, you know you've got to do wise tax planning every single year. For a lot of people, it's what can I buy to make my, my right. profit look lower? Sometimes that's not a wise thing to do yep. because of how these these tax rules work. But um, let's just share a couple for those of you who own small businesses or influencers in a small business. What are the tax planning strategies that are our favorites this year? Yeah. So, Mike, actually, I had that down as uh, something that I was going to talk about was the year-end depreciation planning, uh, figuring out you know what is profit expected to be? Is there a certain piece of equipment that you – really need or could really help the, you know, help the shop or the business for uh, for future years? Does it make sense to buy that now or just wait until next year and, and buy it then? There's lots of different scenarios that we can look at with that um, and figure out when the right time to buy it is, when the right time to write it off is. What, you know, do we write it off over a bunch of years? Do we write it off all up front this year or next mm-hmm. year? You know, there's lots of planning opportunities for that. Um, the other one that's really become important to plan around is related to last year's tax law, the tax taxpayer or tax cuts and jobs act, and has to do with this QBI deduction, qualified business income deduction. So this goes hand in hand with your depreciation planning that we were just talking about, where you get a you get a tax deduction for up to twenty percent of your business profit that you. You, it's a new deduction. You don't have to pay tax on that. So do you want to write off that equipment, which lowers your profit, which lowers the amount of uh, QBI deduction? It, it all flows together and you, you there's a lot of opportunities. In order to be a CPA these days, I think you have to be an algebra expert because you're right. There, There's so many moving parts. You, you do tax planning the same old way you always used to. And maybe there's some inadvertent uh, consequences elsewhere. Right. You're giving up some benefits that you would have otherwise had uh, had exposure to. Um, you know, if I was going to throw out an, another example, and I want to be careful in the way that I share this one, because this could be abused for sure. So, so hear this in the spirit with which it's intended. <laughs> if you're a small business owner and you have kids that could be helping out in the business, maybe they already are, and you know, maybe you make your kids go, you know, sweep the yeah. the shop floor or they've got to help out and you don't even pay them. Maybe you should be, right? right? Because it's very possible that you could be shifting some income or profit off of your shoulders and into into their income bracket at a much lower tax bracket. The, the differential between what they would pay and what you pay is a tax savings potentially. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there could be some drawbacks there. Maybe you add a little complexity to your life and theirs. So you have to make sure that it makes economic sense to do this. Right. But uh, as they get closer to college, this could be a way, for example, to help them pay their own way for college by giving them a legitimate job to do within the organization Correct. Yeah. and uh, and paying them well for it. 
so yeah. that they then pay the, the college bills instead of you. A you related can, yeah. topic, I'd like to introduce our newest financial planner at KFG, Easton Bernard. He's, <laughs> he's a swift <laughs> one and a half years old, and uh, he's on his way to being a CFP. I'm just kidding. What were you going to say, Ryan? No, I was just going to say that example that Josh said, that's a great way to start instilling financial knowledge, education, the yeah. financial mm-hmm. skills into those kids that you have. So could be middle schoolers, could be high schoolers. If they're on the payroll and they are actually working, you then can take the next step and educate your children how to manage money, make them responsible with their money. There's How cool would it be if at age 14, your parents got you going on your right. first Roth IRA mm. yeah. and you got an extra decade of growth over all your peers? Yep. yep. What a blessing. What a launch in life that could be. I've got uh, I've got one more tax planning strategy you need to consider. It mostly applies if you own a small business, but it may also apply to many of you uh, individuals as well. And then we've got great questions coming up from some fans of the show: how to buy a car uh, in retirement and that Indiana 529 plan. So uh, that and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What's the best way to finance or buy a car when you're in retirement? You're on a fixed income. Maybe you've got money in a in a 401k or IRA that when you pull out, it's going to be taxed. Well, how do you buy a car? We've got that answer. Coming up, this is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name's Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios Josh Gregory and special guest CPA Ryan Fair. Thank you to Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes team for making the Wise Money Show possible. Thank you very much. And lastly, let me remind you, if you're not listening on the YouTube channel, you can find the Wise Money Show there, every episode right there. Just go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it, hit that bell for notifications, and then leave comments, leave questions. You can share, you can thumbs up, thumbs down, all that sort of stuff. Thank you very much. All right, we're we're talking about our favorite tax planning strategies for 2019. We talked about it for individuals. Now there's a couple more for businesses that we want to hit, and then we'll transition into into questions. This one is 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 about as bad as the one Ryan started with. Uh, so, but I'm thinking about businesses and and you know the profits for your business throw, flow through if you're if you're an LLC or or sub s flow through to your personal tax return and i don't know about you guys but as i take a temperature with the business owners that i'm connected with 2019 has been a good year so far but for many not quite at the same level as as 2018 mm-hmm. and if you were set up to pay estimates based on 2018 and you have some clarity that 2019's not going to be as great, then you're probably trying to manage cash flow. And it may make sense to pay in less in an, in a fourth quarter estimate. And by the way, the fourth quarter estimate's not due until the first quarter of 2020. So <laughs> stupid. That is so dumb. Okay. But, um, but so, so tax estimate planning based on where you think your profits are going to be. That's, that's one of the biggest areas that we help small business owners in, right? Throughout the year, on a quarter-by-quarter basis, 
kind of taking a snapshot of where their tax picture stands compared to the ebb and the flow, the ups and the downs of profit from the business. And uh, I, I'm a big believer. I, I don't like just setting quarterly estimates on April 15th and just putting them on autopilot, paying the same exact amount every quarter. I would rather see small business owners doing a calculation each quarter and paying the right amount so they don't get ahead of pace on their taxes and they don't get behind pace either. Cash is king. That's right. Yeah. Keep, the biz, keep the money in the business as long as you can, but not longer than you should, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to get behind on your taxes. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll throw one more out there, and, and this is a show about financial planning, right? And so financial planning lives, a, a certified financial planner is operating with you, at the crossroads of six key areas of your financial life. So anywhere that a a financial decision is going to impact more than one element of your financial plan, it gets my attention. And if there was ever an an example of this, I don't think we can talk about tax planning for you as an individual or a business owner without mentioning the, the tax shelters available to you like retirement contributions into IRAs, Roth IRAs, your 401k at work. SEP IRAs are another one that we don't give a lot of attention to because it applies to a certain segment of small business owners. But you need to know what is the the best tax shelter for you to be building up resources for your retirement. Your, Your retirement will be better funded if less of your money is going to taxes and more of it is left to be growing for your future. It was me with a small business owner um, earlier this week, and we've been talking about starting a 401k for his growing business. And um, we're now in in November here, and he said, it's time, it's time. And how long does it take to get this started? And I said, well, you know, we're going to work with you maybe 90 days, maybe six months if there's lots of questions and lag time. But but we should start now if you want to have one in place for 2020 until so we've got an appointment on the calendar. So be thinking ahead and absolutely maximize your retirement plans. All right. Great questions coming up here about tax planning. And uh, the first one, I've kind of teased it out a little bit. Lauren, 64 from South Bend. Hey, what's the best way to buy a car in retirement? Do I take cash out of my IRA or do I get a loan? Great, great question. Huh. We, we get that one a lot. And boy, just like every single financial planning related question, the answer is it depends, right? Um, There there shouldn't be just a blanket statement that applies to everyone who's considering this exact same question. But I would actually, if if we had uh, Lauren on the the phone, I'd first be asking, are you drawing social security? Are you still working? Or are you already retired? And because at age 64, it's possible that you've already retired and um, maybe you're drawing Social Security, and Social Security creates a little bit of a wrinkle in the story problem, because if you were to pull money out of a traditional IRA, you may inadvertently cause more of your Social Security to be taxable than you were otherwise going to experience if you just let the year finish out. And so how you pull chunks of money out or even a monthly stream of income out of your IRA is going to have an impact on your tax picture. It may have a multiplication effect if you start causing Social Security to be more and more taxed. So to me, the best answer here is to look at not only a tax projection 
for this year to, to finish out 2019, but even be considering 2020 as well. Sometimes the best idea that I've been able to offer to someone with the same story problem is maybe take a, a half distribution from the IRA this year and pull the other half of the, the cost of the car out January 2nd, let's say. Mm-hmm. And now you've got the money out of the IRA, but you've split it into two different tax years. Go pay cash for that vehicle in that, in that case. Sometimes um, we need to spread it out over longer periods of time, and that's when you're using potentially a car loan or maybe even a home equity line, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's great. And the the other thing related to Josh's questions about whether or not they're already taking Social Security, even if they are, a lot of times, Lauren said he was 64, so maybe his pension starts when he turns 65. So next year is going to look a lot different than this year. We can look at those different alternatives and say, you know, hey, income is low this year. Next year, the pension starts. It's going to be higher. Let's take more of a distribution this year to get that car. And yes, yeah, so there's there's lots of different alternatives. This is a this is a question that you have to figure out though, because right. a lot of people think, well, if I can just get a new car at the beginning of retirement, I'll drive it all the way through retirement. When does that ever really happen, though? Uh, right? <laughs> that might be what you're thinking, or maybe you'll get through a decade or two, but chances are you're going to buy more than one car in retirement, so you need to have a game plan for this. And uh, to, to add just one more you know, component to the thinking here, you also have to pay attention to what is it that you're selling out of that IRA? What investments are you going to harvest the cash from? Are they investments that have been running strong for a lot of years and you can sell at a high point? Or are you going to be liquidating, um, you know, investments at depressed prices just because you've got a car crisis on your hands? A couple of the things that I would point out here. I don't know if you guys are seeing this a lot. I, number one, I really dislike buying vehicles. It just yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I just always feel like I don't know. It's just not very fun for for me. Um, so I don't I don't really do that that often. But in talking to clients and even some friends who have bought cars recently. A lot of these dealerships are, if you're looking at a new car, mm-hmm. which I think, Lauren, on the verge of retirement or in retirement, yeah, a lot of people make the say, I'm going to drive this car for all of retirement, and that's the reason why I'm going to get it a really nice one. Yeah. No, just get yourself a, yourself a nice car if it fits in your – you don't need to justify it. Um, but you get some sort of uh, deduction on the cost if you finance it. We'll give you 2000 off if you finance it with us or something like that. I right. think I'm seeing that more and more. And so that goes to the idea of, well, what if you pay, what if you take some out of your IRA this year, but you still get a loan so you qualify for a lower cost and then take the rest out next year to pay it off? Uh, there's a lot of people who just, it almost feels like they've lost or they've failed in some way if they have to use debt in retirement. Yeah. And the reality is many people still have a mortgage. Many people still use debt. Our preference would be that you'd be debt free because then you don't have the obligations on your cash flow that create major constraints for your investment portfolio. But there are some times from a tax planning standpoint that using the debt in a judicious way, using it strategically to limit your taxes, you may save more in taxes by doing it right than what it would have cost you in interest. That's right. Especially if we're talking 0% financing. Okay, great question about selling a cottage, not a primary resident, whether that's taxable. So we've got that more coming up here on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. 
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Joshua Gregory and special guest CPA Ryan Fair. If you missed anything, every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. All right. We just uh, air every single episode right there. comes out every single week. If you listen to podcasts wherever you're at, you'll find the Wise Money Show. Just search the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, and I would subscribe to it so you're notified of all new episodes, and you can binge listen. We hear that from folks all the time. Rate this show, comment, and even share. Thank you very much. All right. Next great question comes from Dan. Dan's 59 from Napanee. Hey, should I contribute to the Indiana 529 plan for my grandkids? So Dan lives in Napanee, so Indiana resident, likely depending on income. I don't know. It could be retired at 59. That'd be pretty early. Likely paying some Indiana tax. What do you guys think? I mean, good grief. As as one parent um, among three here, I'm saying... What a blessing that you're even thinking about helping your grandkids with college. And, uh, you know, today's college students are facing, uh, you know, a, a struggle that maybe past generations didn't have as much just because of the known cost increases for college. So when they can tap into other resources like the generosity of grandparents, what what a huge blessing, what a huge help that could be. Um, the, the thing that I would point out is, We've talked in the past about the Indiana 529 plan and the tax credit that it provides on your Indiana tax return. Um, We have to pay attention to, do you have enough income on your Indiana tax return or enough tax to be able to absorb all that free tax savings that is is on the table here? So we we would want to look at your tax picture to know for sure if that's the best idea. But we also... There's a potential trap here when it comes to financial aid. And when when, uh, your grandchild goes to college and they're applying for financial aid, they may or may not be eligible for financial need-based aid, okay? But if they were, what you don't want to do is accidentally create this resource um, that gets I'm going to use the word penalized. That's not a fair statement, but it gets more heavy weighting in the calculation of need when it's money coming out of a um, a grandparent's account, potentially. It doesn't seem fair. Right. Mm-hmm. So what some people will do, you know, the year or two leading up to the, the college years is they'll change from themselves being the custodian on the account or the legal owner of the account to... The, the son or daughter, the, the parents of this student that's going to college. And that's that's one way to deal with that. But you're adding a little bit of complexity when, when that happens. Um, but it's not something that's insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a uh, question of who whoever um, is the custodian on the account, um, th- this 529 plan, they're the ones who will get the tax benefit on their tax return. Mm-hmm. So just just pay attention to that and make sure that one tax return is not better than another because maybe I've had some grandparents who it's better for them to just gift the money to their son or daughter and they set up the 529 plan. Yeah. And uh, even if the son or daughter 
passed along the tax savings to grandma and grandpa as a, as a thank you, you know? Yeah. Hey, dad, father-in-law, uh, yeah. are I'll you pass listening? along some of the savings here if uh, <laughs> Ryan would cut a deal. Ryan, what are some of the limits here on 529 contributions or, or at least to consider? Yeah, well, the, I think Josh mentioned the biggest one, the taxable Indiana income. Mm-hmm. So you have to have enough Indiana, and that's the state tax, not the county tax, even though it's on the same tax return. You have to have enough Indiana tax liability for the credit to eat that up. Uh, in other states, we, we talk about Indiana because that's where we're located. There's lots of other states, if you're across the country, that you want to look into. Lots of states offer a tax deduction for the contribution. Deductions yeah. are still good. It's not as good as the credit, but they're still good. And then the real benefit is you get the tax deferral over time. Yeah, so yeah. if you put in dollars today deferred over time as it grows. And be aware of your state. Um, the, it's not just the limit. There are national limits on how much you can put in. And I'll tell you, those rules are a little weird because you can borrow from other years and so on. Um, but what your tax benefit is up to. So in Indiana, right. it's on the first five grand. In Michigan, it's on the first 10 grand. And so just be aware, be aware of that as well. And that's per tax return. Right. So a lot of time, I, it was meeting with someone this week, and they said, "Okay, well, I've got two, I've got two kids, so I'll do five grand each." And I'm like, "Well, you, I mean, you could legally, you could, but the tax benefit's still thousand dollars. So right. even if if you just did five, so." All right. Next question. Oh, love this question. Ken is 63 from Granger. Hey, I sold a cottage near Lake Michigan that we've owned for 10 years. We bought it for 110, or excuse me, 120 thousand, and we sold it for 180 thousand. And probably made improvements while we owned it of about thirty thousand. We're not supposed to use numbers on the radio, but um, what kind of tax am I looking at this year? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, Ken. Uh, looks like you've got a lot of the the high points as far as information there. So obviously, normal situation. Look at one hundred eighty is what you're selling it for. Your cost basis in this situation would be the one hundred twenty thousand that you paid plus the $30,000 worth of improvements that you've made over the last 10 years that you've owned it. So your cost basis now is at 150,000. If we stop there, and that's all the information we consider, you're gonna have to pay long-term capital gains on the $30,000 gap between 150 and 180. But if we start looking deeper, 180,000 is the sales price. Most likely you paid a realtor, a buyer, mm-hmm. the buyer side and the seller side to sell your condo or your cottage. You also paid the title company, the appraiser, the inspectors, you know, on down the list. When you look at those HUD statements, there's all kinds of expenses on there. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff reduces your sales price from a tax standpoint. Doesn't it feel like everyone has their hand on your wallet when you sell <laughs> real estate. I told you, I don't like to buy vehicles. I I don't really like to move (laughs) either, buy and sell houses because yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. So, I mean, all of a sudden you could be, you know, simple math on a sales price of 180,000. You're, you know, what do you assume? 10% goes to closing costs or something? Yeah. I mean, because you're you're paying the real estate agents six or 7% typically. You've got all the other stuff, tax expenses, you know. So, I mean, all of a sudden you could have, you know, an easy... Yeah. 18, you know, half your half your profit could be eaten up with these costs at the end. You're saying exactly the other thing to consider. I mean, if you've if out of this process of selling, there's 
after an inspection, well, yeah. I've got to put, I've got to cl- fix up this railing, I've got to fix this up and that up. I mean, those are all. They might not feel like improvements because you don't get to enjoy them, right. but it still costs yep. to you that they're selling expenses. Yeah, that that, that comes right off of the uh, off of the capital gains calculation. Well, and keep in mind that you know we started with this huge profit that you were worried about, and now we've kind of whittled it down, unfortunately. Um, but maybe it's a manageable amount of taxes that you're going to pay. It could even be zero, depending right. on what tax bracket you're in in that year. So I, I wouldn't be too fearful. And yet, boy, I, I've had two clients in in the past week where we were helping them run a tax projection because they both had real estate transactions this year. Wow. One is going to escape with no taxes. The other is going to pay tens of thousands. What's the difference? Um, different circumstances. How long did they hold it? How long? Uh, how large is the profit? Here's another variable. What we don't know from Ken's question was: Was this property ever a rental property? Like, was this a a lake type property that was rented out to vacationers, or was mm-hmm. it just used by the family? The difference is: You may have been taking some tax write-offs along the way through what we call depreciation. It's a way of writing off the value of the house slowly over time, over the, the useful life of the house. But the, the problem is when you go to sell that house, you may have to recapture it or claim that back on your, your tax return as income. That can blow everything we just talked about yep. out of the water, right? So th- there's always you know some, some sort of details that need to get caught in a in an actual tax projection. It's why it's not too late yet this year to be talking to a CPA and a certified financial planner to see if there's anything that you could be doing proactively to try to get yourself into a situation where you're paying a lot closer to zero than the the big tax that you're worried about right now, Ken. Josh, I didn't even think about renting this thing out. That's why... Man, you are smart. That was that's great thinking, and you never know. That's why you just got to sit down. If you're doing TurboTax, I don't know how you figure this one out. Yep. If you're doing TurboTax, you probably list the sale price at 180, right? And you're probably paying, paying more tax. tax on 30. Yeah. So got to be careful out there. All right, great questions. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Ryan, thanks for being the guest the past two weeks. Yeah, thank you. On behalf of Josh Gregory and. All of us at Corhorn Financial Group. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.